Elon Musk is known for taking risks. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's the man behind Tesla and SpaceX, and he's changing the game in his industry. A year ago, we had a chance to visit the Kennedy Space Center and see how he's changing rocket building. While we were there, we saw this very large building, the Vehicle Assembly Building. It's about 40 stories tall, and the reason it's so tall and that they have these doors is because before, when they built shuttles, they built them vertical. And when they're all done, they could be rolled out. And that's just the way you built rockets. Well, until Elon Musk. Elon Musk figured out a way to build a rocket on its side. And so when you go to Kennedy Space Center, you see just a simple warehouse. And he figured out a way to just tip it up. Ingenious, he wouldn't have needed the vehicle assembly building. But all this took risk. His Falcon 1 uh, project of, of making this rocket cost $90 million, had three failed attempts, and almost did not go on. Then consider Tesla. At the time he started making an electric car, uh, everyone else was in that industry. Everyone else was trying, and there was a graveyard list of companies trying to make the best electric car. And yet, have you seen a Tesla? Does your neighbor have one? Mine does. Have you watched the stock market rise over the last six months of how Tesla is doing? They're doing all right. But not without risk. In fact, interviewed by CNBC, um, Elon Musk had this to say. He said, if you were to do a risk-adjusted rate of return estimate on various industry opportunities, I would put building rockets and cars pretty close to the bottom of the list. They would have to be the dumbest things to do. That's him speaking about his ventures. And, and he recalls how he, when he was building rockets, he'd had friends who would show him videos of how others made rockets that like blew up. And out of love, like, please don't do this. And he knew the companies that had already failed trying to make electric cars, and yet he did it anyway. Now, some of you might know he's still taking risks. I, I saw, I don't know if it's at the Chicago Auto Show, but the truck that he made, did you see this? It was supposed to be bulletproof, and someone threw a rock, and it, like, shattered it. <laughs> um, he's still taking risks. He has this company called The Boring Company, and um, what they do just for fun is make flamethrowers. Now, you can't buy one anymore. They sold out at $20,000, um, but they do work, and uh, that's one way to start a campfire and to roast a mar marshmallow. <laughs> Safety, please. <laughs> But this is a man still taking risks. There's nothing that he won't do or won't try, it seems. And he lives his life with a principle that we've come to know. And maybe you know this, Phil, and even before I tell you, uh, that you can live with high risk and also have high reward. And have you ever experienced this in life? Maybe for some of you, it's the reason you chose that college it's the reason you started that business. It's the reason you took that job because you know, yeah, there might be risk involved, but they're also on the other side of this could be incredible reward. Back in the day, it might have been the reason you went up to that young gal or young guy and say, are you free Friday night? And you know you could have heard, well, actually, I got plans, but you also could have heard, well, what were you thinking? High risk, high reward. It's for everyone who's bet the farm. It's for everyone who did it a little bit different, different than what everyone else was doing because you knew, yes, it might be tough, it might be different, but on the other side, if this works out, holy cow, it could be incredible. 
We've come to Amazing Love on our 11-year anniversary, and yes, we have pizza coming, so it's a good day. <laughs> and, and, and we're in a, a building, and, and we have wonderful people, a, a wonderful congregation, by the grace of God. Um, but I remember when we first started. And when we first started, it wasn't comfortable. We had all risk and no reward. <laughs> Now, granted, at that time, we had sin and subsidy, but, but we, we had come into an area during the recession. This was an area that was planned for growth. When I got the call packet, New Lenox was going to build a mall bigger than the Mall of America. And they didn't. And they closed north, right? Uh, th- this was going to be an area prime for growth, and yet when I got here, um, I had talked to other church planters who had tried that thing and stopped It was all risk and seemingly no reward. But now, 11 years later, we thank God for his blessing. We thank God for the people we've been able to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ and continue to be able to reach. Lord, be praised. And if anything, this should tell us. It should tell us we have a track record and a reason to continue to be bold. Because as I was looking at Elon Musk's life, I got to tell you, I was a bit envious. And I wasn't envious of his money or his notoriety. I was a little envious that he probably has one of those flamethrowers, and I want one of them. Um, But what I was really envious was how bold he was. The ice in the veins to be on the brink of bankruptcy for a couple companies and still forge ahead. Knowing the conversations with loved ones who try to talk you down out of love and yet still saying, nope, I'm doing this thing. I envied it because I look at Elon Musk and who I should be in Jesus and I wonder who should be more bold. Who should be more bold, Elon Musk or you in Christ Jesus? And the answer is us. And why? If you've read the book and it's okay if you're not, by the way, you're you're welcome here even if you're not a Christian. But, But if you've heard from God, we can live in such a way that we're untouchable. Because here's what we know. We don't have wisdom. Guess who provides it? God will guide. We feel lonely. Guess who's always with us? God will always be there. We don't have provision. Guess who still supplies, even though we don't know where it's going to come from? If we get sick, he can heal us. If we're lonely, he can comfort us. And if we die, guess what he does? He just raises us up and says, hello, that will not so bad, was it? This is Jesus, the one who conquered death who says to you and to me, you could live untouchable if you heard my promises and really trust them. You could live dangerously, go out on a limb for my sake, if you heard and believed what I promised. But the problem is that instead of untouchable, you know how we often want to live, we want to live untouched. Want to live untouched by pain and sadness. Want to live untouched by inconvenience and uncomfortable situations. We want to live a life that God never promised and experienced, not even half of the things his son experienced, and that is maybe the problem. So what is the remedy? That's why I love this series called Dangerous Prayers. It's a series by Pastor Craig Groeschel and Life Church. They put the package together. And I love the premise of it. And first of all, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. There's a starting point when it comes to prayer. Like right now, if you're not talking to God, you should do that. It's really, really fun. He promises to hear and answer anything. 
So, so as a starting point in prayer life, if you have kids or if you're new to the faith, just start talking to God. It's a blast. But, but then I've been analyzing as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, what do you think God normally hears? What do we normally pray for? What are common prayers? I don't know about you, but when I grew up, it was common to pray for food. Didn't pray for a lot of big, significant things, but we, we certainly prayed for food. Now, has God answered those prayers for our help with food? I, I, I sure think so in America. Well, what else does, does God hear? He hears probably a lot about safe travel and longer health. And here's the thing. We have better cars and we're living longer. He's heard those prayers. The only question is, could we pray better prayers? Are we missing something? Could God call us up from, from prayers that, that basically say, God, could I live untouched, to prayers that say, God, can you make me untouchable? As I boldly go forward, knowing you are with me, knowing that anything is possible through you. And that's what the series is about. So we're going to get into the first prayer uh, prayed by the early Christian church. It's a prayer for boldness. And it was at a time where they needed boldness, uh, at a time where no one wanted to hear the message of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so they were under threat by the, the rulers of the day to, to be quiet or else. And we're going to see how they reacted to these threats. Our lesson for today is Acts 4. Um, I'm going to invite you to follow along, whether in the worship folder or on the screen today, the Word of God. It says, when they heard this, this was the threats of the rulers they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city conspire against your holy servant, whom you've anointed. What they're basically saying is, God, you saw this day coming. You prophesied that the rulers would be against the sharing of Jesus Christ, and now that is the day going on. We have the names of the rulers who are against us. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. But now, Lord, consider their threats and... And I want to pause there. Consider if they were just praying for their own comfort. Consider their threats and send someone else. <laughs> Let someone else preach about Jesus. Consider their threats and wipe them out, Lord. Vengeance is yours. Zap them. And... What did they pray? Instead of all these things that would make them untouched, they've said, let's be untouchable. Just enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They pray, and God hears and that place even shakes, and they were able to go out boldly. As we continue discussing this word, could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, you are bold and beautiful in Jesus. Can we have some fun discussing the word of God? 
So it was uh, a few years ago where some of my childhood dreams were made, and uh, every good childhood dream has to do with Wrigley Field, right? Um, I, uh, I knew someone who uh, was connected to Anthony Rizzo's father, and because of that connection, I was able to get a VIP sticker and be a VIP at Wrigley for the day. Now, because of the authority of this sticker, I was able to walk through security and, and into certain gates. I was able to observe batting practice uh, right behind the, the big cage there. While I was there, I met the announcer for the Cubs, Len Casper, and he told me what to do with my authority, my sticker. He said, when everyone else is done batting, just call them over, and they usually will take time uh, to sign the ball that you have and to get an autograph. You can rub shoulders with them. In fact, Len Casper himself went over to a very famous guy, called him over to meet me, and that's why I got this picture with Anthony Rizzo. That's, that's a new BFF, right? He's like, look at, he's, there's a connection there, right? <laughs> All because of the authority of this sticker, right? And that sticker led to more great things. It was not just Rizzo that I met that day. I met Dexter Fowler, if you remember him, Carter. Uh, I remember Jorge Soler, Jason Hayward, all of them, along with an ESPN sports announcer, and I had a ball. But none of it would have happened if I didn't have this authority by Anthony Rizzo's father and the sticker that said VIP. Do you know you and I have authority? I wish I had a bunch of those stickers to give you for the coming season. I don't have that. But, but do you know that Jesus has given you authority? He, he said, I, I give you authority to go. I use who I am so that you can go into certain territories with a certain purpose. In, in fact, what we know about the mission of the church is what's recorded in Matthew 28 before Jesus went up to heaven. Before Jesus went up to heaven, he said, you have authority. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So don't worry, you have the sticker, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is truly the reality of what we should do as a church. What should we do with the authority of Jesus Christ? It is to go and to make disciples. In fact, what we know is that the church's mission is to boldly proclaim Christ's love. And that's why we started a church in this area. That's why uh, for 11 years we've been telling of the perfect life, the innocent death, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ the Savior. So that any and all who come here could know that they have the right to be loved and forgiven and saved as they call on that same name, Jesus. In fact, we've taken um, Jesus' mission statement and we've rephrased it to our own mission statement. Uh, perhaps you know it, this is the quiz. Our mission statement here at Amazing Love, we've rephrased it to say, to... Reach the lost with the love of Christ. And we were supposed to do that. That's keeping the main thing the main thing. That's being a church on point. Is when we go and make disciples. And yes, teach them everything as well. But as we share Jesus, that's the main thing. We could spend all of our time and our energy trying to just take care of the earthly problems as a church. We're never going to solve them. We could spend all of our time and energy just being good neighbors, and, and still we'd, we'd, we'd not solve all the problems. So what should the church do? We should share the love of Jesus Christ. The only problem is there's things standing in our way. You ever come up against the obstacles? 
Can I tell you something? If you don't believe that there is the devil, try to start a church. Because over and over, he wants to stymie. He wants to get in the way of the bold advance that we might make for the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, just consider Christianity in today's world. Um, when, when, when I was growing up, it seemed like Christianity had a better day and age. Would anyone say that, that it was better a generation ago? Uh, for example, being a pastor's kid back in Beaverdam, Wisconsin, my dad was well-respected as a pastor, and we even got pastor perks. When, when we were in Beaverdam, Wisconsin, we got free movies at the movie theater, all because my dad was pastor. And so at my eighth grade sleepover, we saw Ninja Turtles, all eight of us, and it was free. <laughs> and it was wonderful. And I'd meet people in the grocery store, and they'd say, your dad is pastor. Way to go, young man. Are you going to be one too? Yeah. It was a really good thing to be a pastor. What happened? <laughs> Do you know what happens when I tell people I'm a pastor? Well, actually, two things. First, they apologize for the language they were using. And second, they, they look at me weird as if to say, why would you do that? You seem normal. <laughs> yeah, things have changed. Culture's changed. Back in the day, there was this expectation that you could pray in school. You might even have Ten Commandments in the public school. There was an expectation that on Sunday it was the Lord's Day. This is just what you did. There, there was cultural Christianity, and things have changed. I was doing some research, and the Pew Data Research Center says that in the last decade, those who profess to be Christian has dropped by 12%. In the last decade, there were 77% of Americans that said, I'm Christian, and now it's 65% just in a decade. And you know what we could do? Me as pastor, I could just say, woe is me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. Right? And we could all just gather together and try to console ourselves. Well, at least we're the, the last faithful ones holding on. It may be a sinking ship, but we're going down together. Is that what we should do for the next generation? Is that the, the tone of the church that we should set? I don't think so. And you know why? Because I read this story. Now, were things better or worse for them at this time? Let me explore some of that with you. When they were gathering as a church, do you know how many people they had? It wasn't Pew Research that gave us the data. It was the Holy Spirit uh, through inspiration. In Acts 4, it says, Many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And what's really interesting is that when I look at the early Christian church, there's a part of me that says, Man, they were strong then. Those bold, big wave of believers, 5,000. Do you know if 65% of Americans are Christian, we have 200 million people who confess to follow Jesus Christ? That's just a little bit more than 5,000. Not a math whiz. Or what about the threats? Do you know after this would be the first martyr named Stephen who was stoned for professing Jesus Christ? And then all of the apostles, 12 of them, 11 of them died a martyr's death, and one of them was exiled, uh, so that wasn't any better. All of them faced real threats and imprisonment for the faith. You ever been imprisoned, flogged? Or threatened for your life confessing Jesus? I haven't. How did we forget this? 
How did we forget the strength and the blessing that God has given? How can I forget when I, I know your lives and I know the light that you share? Why are we feeling like we're on a sinking ship when I see such lights in this world? No, here's the truth. We can be bold because the numbers are greater and the threat is less severe. And even if that wasn't the case, we could still be bold because of this last statement that God the Almighty is with us. And if there's just one, that would be enough. And even if you just feel like that one, you are enough because God is with you. So what happened? Why are we pessimistic and maybe even have a spirit of defeatism among us? I think we've pulled a Peter. Do you remember his story? <clears throat> Peter was a disciple who, when he saw Jesus walking on water, had an Elon Musk moment. He said, Lord, call me out to where you are. And Peter amazingly started walking towards Jesus. He was defying gravity, right? Until Scripture records that he looked around and he heard the wind and he saw the waves and he became afraid. And, and so the interpretation is that as he took his eyes off of the superiority of Jesus who's walking on water, he then began to sink. And I wonder, have we taken our eyes off the sovereignty of Jesus Christ? And is that the reason we feel like we're sinking? Friends, I think we need to repent. And repentance is just a change of mind. We need to change our mind over the defeatist attitude that sometimes we bring to our walk with Jesus Christ, like it won't make any difference. We need to repent of all the times we thought it was too much to be bold for Jesus, whether sharing our faith abroad, living for him outright, or being a light. God is still above all things for our sake. We need to take a page from our Savior, Jesus. Jesus stood before a court. It was right before Good Friday. And, and this court wanted to look for any way to, to put him to death. And they asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And he knew by answering a certain way, this would seal his fate. He knew that this was a high-risk, high-reward moment. And when put that pressure on, Jesus simply said, I am. Which reminds me of the Old Testament word for, for God, Yahweh, I am. And he knew he had just risked his life, but he knew it also lead to reward. That because he did that, you and I could have forgiveness and peace. That you and I would be his reward that the people in this community could hear of reward in Jesus Christ because they have the right to forgiveness too because of what Jesus boldly did for them. How awesome is our Savior. How great is His superior boldness. So how do we get that way? Well, I, I think uh, some of it could be by looking at nature. This past week, um, I don't know about you, but I actually welcomed the snow. 
uh, not driving in it. No, no one likes driving in it. But we haven't had much snow. And, and I love it when nature allows Ansel Adams to create, you know, these beautiful pictures, right? And the snow on Thursday, if you saw it coming down, led to a very bright Friday, which I really enjoyed. I didn't even actually used to use my sun lamp that day. It was great. Because the bright sun was reflecting off of the white and, and, and made me feel like I wanted sunglasses. But no, I was just taking it all in. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Nature is astoundingly beautiful. Heard of a snow moon last night. And then we have a member who sends me a picture like this. And it wasn't to rub it in, but rather to say, God's glory is here too. And it's funny because in winter, I don't even think that such a place exists. I've forgotten it. It's beyond my imagination, but, but that is so beautiful in its own right. And why did I have you look at nature? Because there is a God who fashioned every unique snowflake and who knows every grain of sand. And when you look at the grandeur of nature, you can see the grandeur of our sovereign God. When the early disciples needed boldness, what did they first do? They wrapped their minds up in nature and the sovereign God. In verse 24, it says, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And I wonder if they just paused there and they considered the heavens filled with galaxies and stars. And the earth filled with all these kind of animals. This past week, I saw these two golden retrievers. Uh, one was blind and one was the lead dog for a dog. And I was like, that was cool. And I wonder if they were thinking of all the, the, the animals in the, in the ocean, the dolphins and the school of fish and everything going on. And they were saying, all of this, you made. And so really, what can't you handle? Really, what problem is too big for you? And so how do we get boldness? It comes as we consider the sovereignty of God. It comes when we spend less time on the trite and the trivial and more mental energy on his majesty. You know, if you need a resource to help you do this, um, there is a great book that just came out. It's called Three Words That Will Change Your Life. <clears throat> and some of you know Pastor Mike Novotny because we've listened to his sermons here. Um, but he's the preacher for Time of Grace Ministries. And it is an amazing book. Spoiler alert, the, the words are God is here. And, um, and, and he goes in to, to consider the splendor of God, and, and he shows to us the, the problem um, of our time right now. In, in one of the earliest chapters, he has this to say. He says, we don't think that much of God, and that is our biggest problem. This is the polluted spring beneath the water that keeps making us emotionally sick. Because if right now we saw him reigning above all things, his almighty power in his unfailing love. What reason wouldn't we have to be bold? So I wonder where this lands for you. <clears throat> I wonder right now where you need a bit of boldness. Maybe it's just how you spend your time. And you realize that you've binged enough and you've Bibled too little. Maybe it's just priorities once again, and you're analyzing if there is a sovereign God who rules above all things, maybe there's a better way to serve that sovereign God. Maybe it's boldness when it comes to lifestyle. No one's perfect, and we've all tried sin in one fashion, form, or another to see if it works. It doesn't. What if you had boldness finally to decide in this moment, I'm going to try it God's way. 
I, I've done long enough down that road. Long enough to know it doesn't work. I'm going to give it by faith God's way. Uh, whether it be for, for how I'm generous, whether it be for sexuality, whether it be for how I treat people, whether it be I finally forgive that individual. I, I've done enough with that other way. God, I'm going to be bold to try it your way. What if it's simply sharing the faith and, and boldly proclaiming? In this world, we, more, we need more positive confessors of the glory of Jesus Christ. Those who aren't afraid to go to a workplace and say, yeah, on the weekend I went to church. What about it? You want to come? As casual as that, that's, that's who I am. I see Jesus. To boldly say, what do I believe? I believe in John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gives one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what I believe. To invite others to this place. May God lead us to such boldness. You know, I had a moment of, of boldness, or at least I witnessed it. This past week, our leaders got together. And I got to tell you, after the end of the meeting, I, I left a little bit shaken because I was like, oh, that was bold. And our leaders were talking about what we could do going forward. And our leaders said, you know what, it might be aggressive, but what if we went for a second pastor? What if we said there is further ministry we could do, there's further opportunities as we boldly go forward to share the amazing love of Jesus Christ? Who are the people we could reach and the ministries we could create to help other people be with their Savior? I witnessed boldness. And it was awesome. And then I had a conversation. This conversation was with a friend over offense and defense. They were using a sports analogy, and I, I tried to follow, but I didn't really because I was a bench warmer. But, but he was saying um, that if you're on defense, you play not to lose. You block the shots, you, you block the goal, you tackle the person, you, you hope that they don't score. On defense, you play not to lose. But on offense, you play to win. You dunk if you can, you score an extra goal, you run up the score because you don't know if they're going to come back, and you're the aggressor on offense. And what should we be as Christians or the church of God? Should we be on the defense or the offense? Well, Jesus said, you have the sword of the Spirit. I don't know what you use a sword for, but I would say a sword is an offensive weapon. When Jesus met other demons who were against the kingdom of God, those demons asked him for permission to go into pigs or to do this or that. And Jesus, when building his church, said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. What do gates do? They're defensive, aren't they? Because the gates of hell are scared of a Christian who would wake up and say, wow, I'm untouchable because of Jesus Christ, aren't I? So what do we do as we look forward? Let's be offensive for the sake of God. And maybe there is a double entente there. Maybe not everyone will understand. They won't get it. They'll talk us down and they'll think we're crazy for doing what we do. And maybe that's okay. Because if Elon Musk can have ice in his veins on the brink of bankruptcy, why not a Christian by the power of the risen Christ? May God give us superior boldness going forward as we pray dangerously and give him all the glory and let his kingdom come and this through us. Amen.